0: All right. (laughs) I missed that show. Well, uh, remind me sometime to tell you, I actually got to go to a taping of Seinfeld. I lived in California. It was a really cool experience. Uh, While George's system is (laughs) an example of the absurd and certainly extreme, we can at least identify with this. I believe we can because every person has a system. So, you know, we laugh at George. i got to say, that's probably going to be one of the last times we're going to get to laugh this morning, Uh, as funny as it's going to get, because our passage in Colossians, with which we're going to grapple this morning, confronts a really formidable opponent, our life system. Uh, Like George, when asked to change, alter, modify what is working for us, we say, never! It's a part of me! My prayer, though, this morning is that we will, we will listen to God's Word over the deception of the world, which we've also tended to adopt. Because this morning, Paul addresses the second degree of deception that is already or threatens to take hold of many in the church of Colossae. So before we get to that second degree of deception, I want to review our first degree of deception that we looked at a number of weeks ago. Good advice from a good source is like good news from the source. We start to begin, as we live our lives and we listen to various people, media outlets, just chatter, we begin to regard semi-spiritual sayings, pop slogans with the same weight as we do the source, Jesus, and the gospel, the good news that he rescues us through his death on the cross. It's advice that often unintentionally deceives us. Called it Facebook advice. Advice like, it's all good, no worries, whatever works, do what you feel is right. Right? These aren't major philosophies like naturalism, Marxism, nihilism. This is real life kind of stuff. You even got some from the spiritual flavor, like let go and let God. We talked about just be real always saying, in my experience, or God won't give you anything you can't handle. These sorts of things we start to adopt in our lives and live by these everyday philosophies. And the ones that work, we begin to put them into our system. It lumped all these little bits of advice into a living, breathing lifestyle. Hence the title of this morning's sermon, Once It Works, I Put It Into My System. That's the second degree of deception. We're going to witness Paul addressing this deception in our passage this morning. So let's turn there if you would. Colossians chapter 2. If you have a Bible, Colossians 2 verse 20. So we're going to look at the second of three degrees of deception that Paul addresses here in Colossians. And, and this week we'll kind of start talking a little bit about the antidote to the deception. And we'll, but we'll get into that more next week. So Colossians 2 Verses 20 through 23. God's Word. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? I'll stop here. A fundamental change has taken place, yet no fundamental change has taken place. For many of the Colossians... There's supposed to be this fundamental change by trusting Jesus to forever forgive their sin, trusting Him as God of both the universe and their life. The Colossians would not any longer allow other things to dictate the course of their lives because we're acknowledging a new God, a new master in our life. These elemental spirits of the world they used to bow down to, they used to submit to, they used to let dictate their lives. Well, these were likely... Things like stars or angels that ruled stars and that would significantly influence how a person lived. And that might sound silly to us, but that's sort of the kind of thing that they allowed to seep in to their lives. Well, yes, we know Jesus, but if we also take account of the stars and kind of an astronomy kind of take and and angels that rule over stars, well, that'll help us be even better Christians and Paul acknowledging that these are real spirits? Well, it actually doesn't really matter. But by acknowledging Jesus is God, those things are supposed to be dead to us. That's what he's saying. Whether they're real or not real, they're dead to you, Colossians. But Paul questions that. Why aren't they dead to you? Why are you still being influenced them, having trusted a new master in Jesus Christ? A fundamental change has taken place. We've been given new life through Christ, yet there's no new life being lived. And that's what Paul is questioning and confronting here. And He goes on in more detail to describe what used to and still does rule many a person's life in this church. Verse 21. Do not handle. He's quoting someone else here, by the way. All right? He is quoting someone else. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These things refer to things that perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. Having gotten the Colossians to buy in to some of these everyday slogans, everyday advice, everyday philosophies, now someone on the inside and the inside of the church is capitalizing on this and promoting a kind of system. All right, I mean it's don't handle this, do touch this, don't mess with that, don't really taste that. It's sort of like a, like a spiritual nutra system. <laughs> you follow this system, you'll be extra content, extra satisfied, extra happy, and possibly even. Extra pleasing to God. Now before we cry loco and turn the channel on this message this morning, let's really consider our own life systems. What we call my system of doing things, God calls, check this out, self-made religion. Read with me in verse 23. These things lumped together, Paul's saying, this into the system, have an appearance of wisdom and promoting self-made religion. What a telling phrase there, right? Uh, promoting asceticism, severity to the body, but there are no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to first look at the type of self-made religions that we construct. And then secondly, we're going to diagnose whether your system Is, in fact, a self-made religion? And finally, we're going to start looking at how to institute a God-made system versus a self-made religion. So first, types of life systems slash self-made religions. I'm going to give you eight of these. We're going to roll through them pretty quickly. and I want you to consider which one you currently or most closely subscribe to. All right, and you may have your own uh, variants, but I'm going to give you eight. Number one, there is the vacation system. All right, you devise your life, your schedule to maximize vacation. A vacation not just from the island and from your work, but to get away from certain relationships. Vacation from God, vacation from church, from yourself, from your reality. You escape. Wherever there's pressure, you devise your life in such a way to relieve that pressure, right? Because and, and, ironically, you operate at peak performance when you're on a break. And, and maybe you get frustrated. This might be you if you get frustrated when you can't have that, when the pressure keeps mounting. There's a the vacation system. There's the winning system. Everything in your life, or many things, are a competition you are driven by that. What drives you is maybe winning your football league. You know, beating your previous time in a in a jog or on a cycle. It drives you for a promotion. The next level. Maybe it's having a boyfriend versus those who don't. You just feel a little bit better. You don't want to you're not taking pleasure in someone else's ministry, but you want to make sure you have things together. And... Or, or you often say to yourself, you're probably like, no, I mean, at least I'm doing better than blank. It's a winning system. How about this one? The balance system. You want to achieve a holistic balance by making sure each element is present in your life. You want a little bit of everything. You can have our exercise, our yoga, our study reading, our social life, our Jesus church life, our family dynamics, our alone time, our hobby, our serving other people. And all the pieces of the pie come together. And if we have that, we'll finally be happy. Then there's the social system. Fourth one would be, so you want to be at the center of all your social networks. You want to know what's going on. You want to mix yourself up in family who's who in the community, your kids' school, at the office, at your community group, your circle of friends, the peeps you hang out with at the coffee shop, whatever it might be. That's what sort of drives you. And you make a lot of decisions based on that. What about the comfort and convenience system? Where you determine many of your decisions, much of your schedule, much of what you do by comfort and convenience. What offers Least resistance provides maximum pleasure for a minimum cost. This could also be uh, making more money to make life more secure. It's By the way, a fine line between saying, I want to say this to, especially to families, well I just want to make life comfortable for my family, just be careful, because what we're often really saying is I just want to insulate myself and my family from any kind of harm by having more money, which As we know, it doesn't actually work very well. A sixth one. And this is actually one that would be true for for me right now in my life. I'll call it the quota for change system. Wanting to see change happening in and around me. Want to see people change. I I will often work for, say things, encourage change. And if I don't see a certain amount of measurable change, I, I get down. I get miserable. In fact, uh, I I realized this was me recently when uh, I'd seen two people change. Right? Their lives were changed, impacted. I was excited about it. And then I remember telling someone in in leadership about it. And then months later, as I got to talk to them, I realized, oh man, there's no change. And it just devastated me. Now, yes, it should be sad, but but our, our identity often moves up and down circumstances and people and things around us change and it's a problem number seven a self-imposed morality that's kind of your system i was presiding over a wedding yesterday from paul and kenisha taylor a great wedding fantastic a woman there mentioned to me lovely woman but she mentioned to me how she felt like she didn't need the bible to really live her life but rather makes all her decisions by what she feels is right I don't need the Bible to give me morality. I just do what I I feel is right. You know, thought immediately of Jeremiah 17. The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? What we feel tends to be directed towards what will make us feel better and do well, even in our morality. Lastly, number eight, the achievement system. Right? We go through life with a real, an actual or implicit checklist. Right? If you accomplish something, you feel a sense of satisfaction, a sense of fullness. This used to to be me. Sometimes it still is. This creeps back into my life. But it used to be me. And I say used to because I used to come home. I remember from, from work, from whatever I was doing. And with Katie, I would complain that I didn't get everything done on my list. I mean, I did that habitually. And yes, I understand the pressures of having to get things done That there's a reality of work, but at the same time, you cannot leave it there. You always are bringing it back. And it's spilling over into your family life, your social life, whoever you may come home to. I know I also used to have this because I had a real personal checklist. I know some people don't have a real one, an implicit one. I actually brought mine along with me, my old one, because yes, I typed it out at one point. It's true. Ryan's checklist of weekly personal and personal ministry goals. All right. Now, now granted, I have a real checklist for work and a plan of action for the week. It's crazy. I know. You're like, do you actually do things during the week? Yes. (laughs) So here's what I'm just going to read you. What was on my list of weekly personal and and personal ministry goals? Two conversations per month with pastor, minister, ministry partner outside of church. Get ready for bed by 10.15. Five nights. Parentheses, five nights. I allow myself two crazy nights, clearly. One night a week to get bed by 9, 30, 9, 45, it could be with Katie, it would be, in, uh, whatever. No, not in that, uh, not in that way, but anyway, all right, e- <laughs> that's not what I mean. Hey, more than one, ni- one night a week, come on, just, <laughs> I'm going to stop there, all right, you get the idea. Oh boy. Now, this is instructive to say that I used to because I rarely uh, complain now about not going to complete my list. When I walk through the door, I don't talk about that much anymore. Katie has mentioned that. I delegate more if necessary. I, I leave certain things to the following day. So I notice that this is not part of my life. And, and I want to say this. Lists, this is true for all these things, lists aren't the problem being enslaved to them. I want us to notice a few things about all these life systems, self-made religions that we think will make us content and feel good and that we we are kind of enslaved to in many ways. Notice a few things. One, uh, you might be wondering, hey, I was looking for the Jesus God system in there so I could check that one off. I did not include that. You didn't miss it. It wasn't there. Uh, None of us, I think, have quite the ability yet to have the Jesus God system fully figured out because we're all... Uh, sinners fall short of that. But the second thing, actually, if you notice, each system can always have God lumped into it. We can always find ways to put God in there. Like, for instance, God because an item on the checklist. Or we vacation. I can vacation escape to God. Uh, you know, I, I can be a winner by being a better Christian than someone else. Um, you know, uh, I have a balanced life with God as part, one of the slices in the, my life on the pie chart. You know, saying Christian things to Christian people was part of your social system. You see what I'm saying? We can rationalize, put God in there, but if we're honest, a lot of times, God is not at the center. of I want us to notice one more thing. Each system, each self-made religion is a whack-a-mole. Anybody know what a whack-a-mole is? Are these things? If you go to an arcade or in the United States, uh, we have these things called Chuck E. Cheeses. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a terror. well, you can get a lot of diseases there. I'll just say that, all right? It's really a hotbed of viruses and bacteria. <laughs> Sorry. But, but most of the time it is. And, uh, but they have these, this game you play where you basically get a big mallet. And these little moles come out. And you're supposed to hit the mole before it descends back into its hole. But once you hit the mole, another mole comes up. And you hit that mole, but then another mole comes up. You hit that mole, and another mole comes up. It's kind of an infuriating game, but it gets out a lot of frustration. Each of these systems is like a -a whack-a-mole. Read with me in verse 23. These systems have an appearance of wisdom, right? All that stuff. But look what he concludes at the end, Paul. They are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Hear that? We are made as people to indulge in one thing, and that is God. We were made to indulge, to find our most pleasure, our highest passion in Him. And we're not indulging in Him, but indulging in things. That's what we mean we can't enjoy other things. I'm saying indulge. Give ourselves over to those other things. That's when we find a problem. Because even these systems can't stop indulgence. I remember uh, years ago at a high school assembly, one of these assemblies you get where you get one of these morality speeches, right? Don't, don't have sex. you are going to have sex. Make it protected sex. You know, public education. And don't do drugs. This particular one was an anti-drug assembly, and it was a particularly actually inspiring speech. This former athlete came in. He did a wonderful job. Great testimony uh, of how he got back on track. All about morality, though, and my friend's flanked to my right and to my left As they're hearing this, of course, had marijuana in their pockets. Uh, True story. Both, though, after hearing this speech, decided to quit. And and actually did. Months later, I discovered one of the friends had amassed an enormous pornography collection. Whack-a-mole. He had killed one thing, but another thing pops up. There's a substituted. And that's what happens. When we try to think, you know, I can do this on my own. I can improve my life on my own. You might win. You might defeat one vice. One thing. But something else will always pop up. The other friend stayed off drugs. But he was no longer our friend. He started to look down on us. He grew proud of his morality. As people are prone to do. when They're doing better. Me, I just... I smoked marijuana for a little while until I came to know Jesus. <laughs> that was my story, uh, but that's the thing. Even if you succeed at a system, sin pops up. It comes back up somewhere. So, I remember hearing the story of uh, Benjamin Franklin, who was one of the founding fathers. A uh, place where I'm currently still a citizen, but not a resident, United States of America. He had. He was known for sort of. Uh, A lot of practical wisdom and this sort of thing. He had this system of 13 virtues. I'll read you a few. He said, first his first virtue is silence. Speak not, but what may benefit others or yourself. Avoid trifling conversation. Frugality. Make no expense but to do good to others or yourself. That is, waste nothing. Industry. Lose no time. Be always employed in something useful. Cut off all unnecessary actions. See how rigorous this guy was. Tranquility. Be not disturbed at trifles or accidents common or unavoidable. So he had a system. And he set up a book with each page for a virtue, lining a column in which to record defects as well. And he he chose a different virtue to work on each week. He daily noted every mistake starting over every 13 weeks in order to go through the cycle, the list, four times a year. That's pretty rigorous. For many decades, Franklin carried this book with him, striving to keep a clean 13-week cycle. Not only did he not do that, he made progress. though I will say he made progress, but he found himself struggling with yet another defect. Pride. And how could you not? Franklin ended up saying, after many years of doing this, there is perhaps not one of the natural passions so hard to subdue as pride. Disguise it, struggle with it, stifle it, mortify it as much as one pleases. It is still alive and will now and then peep out and show itself. Our systems ultimately don't work. Second thing I want to do this morning is diagnose whether your system, let's together diagnose whether your system is in fact a self-made religion. Paul gives us three diagnostic tools here. Number one. So take your system that you learned in the last section. Think about it here. Number one. It seems smart, wise, makes sense to our rational minds. This is one of the hardest. Honestly, it's, it's practical. It looks good. It works. But as Paul points out in verse 23, he says, hey, look, these indeed, it's like he's saying, I'll admit, these have an appearance of wisdom. It looks like this is wise But of course he says it's not. Proverbs 16:25 says this, "There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. It's end, its final goal. at the end, it's going to be death." which leads to our, our second diagnostic tool, full of relationships, accomplishments, feelings and life direction that perish as you live out your system. That's how you know it might be a self-made religion. Paul says these things are perish as they are used. The problem, again, is the end. The end, at the end, it dies. Accomplishments don't give you the self-worth, the feeling of, of triumph that you hoped would happen and last dissipates. A balanced life still leaves you empty. You never feel loved enough in the center of your social system. There's never enough comfort or pleasure because its end, the final goal, doesn't last. Number three, it doesn't help you stop indulging yourself in things and people and in feelings other than God. Again, verse 23, it doesn't stop indulgence of the flesh. Finally, instituting then a God-made system. Alright, uh, I think this is a little more difficult. Certainly, the Bible speaks to how to respond to God's great love through Jesus Christ by certain ways of obedience. Certain ways to respond to Him in love by obedience. Uh, reaching out to people with the Gospel who don't yet know Him. Being part of a community and encouraging and speaking truth with others, to others and worshiping Him with our body and our minds, our hearts, and reading what He has to say and working and our jobs as unto the Lord as if we're working for Him. All these, there are a number of things I can go on and on how we respond in obedience. But there are a multiple multitude of ways to cram obedience into an everyday system. But it seems to me that any system should be determined by the following three questions. At least this is a good start. By the way, only you and God know whether these can be incorporated in your system. These three things I'm going to mention or whether you need to totally explode your current system and start over. And I'm going to encourage you to be honest about that. Like some of you know, like, I cannot go with the system I have. It is too tempting. It is too hard. I am too entrenched in living, frankly, for myself and in sin, that I need to explode that. And I know we rail against that starting over, right? I mean, you object, hey, Ryan, isn't this a little extreme? Consider changing my lifestyle. Doesn't God support moderation? Well, rarely actually supports moderation. As human beings, we don't do moderate well, and neither does Jesus. He said in Luke eleven twenty three, 23, He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. Do you hear that? So you might be out there and you think, well, you know, I'm not really living for Jesus right now, but at least I'm not doing anything against him. Jesus would say, no, no, you don't understand. If you're not with me, you're against me. You're scattering. You're making it harder for yourself and others. In fact, Paul's going to say that a few verses down here in chapter 3. He's going to say, uh, when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. We're going to look at that more next week. When Christ, who is your life, not a part of your life, not a major part of your life, Christ, who is your life. Okay, so the three questions. There's a little tangent there. Three questions. Number one, to know if, if, if any system should be determined by these. Number one, is its end love? Is its end love? We always talk about beginning with the end in mind. Is the end love. Mark 12, 30-31, Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength the first commandment. Second, the most important is love your neighbor as yourself. Is the end of my system love? Is the aim love? Do you love God and your neighbor with your checklist? When you are out exercising and doing your thing, is it an expression of love towards God? Or do you love your friends with whom you cycle? Do you love them enough to share Jesus with them? I mean, really? How is, you, how is love for God and neighbor integrated into vacations? from your job, from this island? How do you love God with your work and with your money? Not hypothetically, but actually. You could look back and say, yeah, I could love God with these things and the way my life is, but I'm not talking about hypothetically. I mean, actually. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 13, you might be familiar with this, where he says, love never ends. So it's the best end we could have. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. For speaking in tongues, that's going to cease. For knowledge even, it will pass away. There's love that remains. It's the end love. Number two, does your system foster faith along the way? The offer of Hebrews reminds us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without trust in Jesus, you can't please him. That's all that's required, is trusting in Christ. And Every system should have built-in opportunities to, for faith to be exercised and grow. Part, I mean, in fact, we mentioned earlier that you know, seeming wise, smart, makes sense kind of system often means that there's no faith opportunities built in. Our system should look a little weird because it's not just relying on us. It's relying on God to come through. Right? It should look a little alien, a little foreign. Part of your system may involve building relationships. So do you weekly, monthly plan to move from building bridges in relationship to stepping across those bridges and sharing, opening your mouth and sharing Jesus? It requires faith. Right? Man, God, you've got to come through and speak through me. Is there anything on your checklist that involves God having to come through or it will fail? I remember, you know, a very small example. I mean, when we started working on our budget, our sort of budgetary system for our life years ago, and, and we found, I remember the first year we did this, our expenses were, were greater than our income. And what was the most tempting thing to cut out, do you think? What's the most tempting thing to cut out? Expenses, income, giving, right? Well, let's just be honest. Like, I mean, this is not a giving sermon, but you got to pay for electricity. You got to pay for food. Got to pay for cable TV. No, not really. But I don't have to give as much. Man, I tell you, God challenged my heart when I thought that. No. This is an opportunity where you can build faith into your budget. That you don't have enough money. God can come through. Not foolishly, but built in faith. One of my favorite quotes that I mention frequently, Mentioning mention again, A.W. Tozer, I love it. Once said, God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity we plan only the things we can do ourselves. So we have this system, this plan, but it's just stuff we can do on our own strength. Lastly, number three, does your system allow for failure? It's kind of weird. I don't want to fail at it. Even a God-made system versus a self-made religion, even a God-made system cannot prevent us from failing at it. From indulging in the flesh, as Paul says. It's who we are, it's in our DNA. Charles Spurgeon, great preacher, once said of our nature, we may say of our fallen nature what the Lord said to Job concerning Leviathan, wilt thou play with him as with a bird? Or wilt thou bind him for thy maidens? A man might as well hope to hold the north wind in the palm of his hands as expect to control by his own strength those boisterous powers which exist within his fallen nature. This is a greater feat than any of the fabled labors of Hercules. God is needed here. Every life system must have as its fail-safe the cross of Jesus Christ, which never fails us. And where we can continually return to actually receive power, The power of forgiveness that helps strengthen us for the next battle. Empower us for the next accomplishment. And to love God and our neighbor now and forevermore. Let's pray. Father, it's easy to just stay with what we're doing with our system, Lord. Because it's what we know and it's what we do pretty well. But it has no power to grow us in Christ because it has no power to stop the indulgence of the flesh. God, I pray today, that we would be honest if we have that system, that self-made religion in our life, Lord. That we would honestly make it a goal, Lord, to have as an end to our system the love of God, the loving our neighbor. That we'd have built-in opportunities to, for trust to be fostered and to grow, to be exercised. But finally, Lord, to remember our, even our best plans will fail, Lord, because we fail. But help us not give up, Lord. Grace is opposed to merit, but is not opposed to effort. In fact, going back to the cross every day and receiving forgiveness just empowers us to actually live and love God and our neighbor more. Help us do that. In Jesus' name, amen.